0: Welcome to Conversations with Zee and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's d-h-a-r-m-a-media.com. All right, welcome back, everyone, to Conversations. And Z, we've been talking a bit about reciprocity and human relationships. And this has come up because the way that we interact, we've gotten to a point where human relationships are very transactional. And maybe that's just a function of our society and that people are specialized in certain areas. Uh, But a lot of times we interact with other people and it's kind of like, how can I get paid for what I'm doing? Or even if I'm not getting paid for it, how can I get the upper hand? How can I get as much as possible and give as little back? And maybe there's some benefit to that. So materially, you might be better off. You can take advantage of a situation, tilt the scales a bit in your favor. But the challenge with that is you don't have people who are out there who've really got your back. So you end up in a world where people are around uh, for a period of time and then they disappear uh, maybe they're around as long as you're providing some entertainment, you're providing something in exchange, but it, they're not really looking out for you. Uh, they're not the the friend who's going to be there, who's going to see you through, as you put it, Z having that dead body in the trunk. Or are they going to be someone that you can call in the middle of the night and say, hey, I've got some dead body, help me dispose of this. And they come over, no questions asked. Uh, it's more you have people in your life when you can provide them something and then they disappear. And that can be a very lonely existence. We've talked about people like this who we've worked with, who uh, can be very good at what they do, they can be very good on the business side, but they don't have any real close friends because they approach relationships the same way that they approach business, uh, which is, this is a transaction, I'm going to get what I get, I'm going to take as much as possible. And either it pisses people off or pushes people away. uh, So you end up in potentially a pretty lonely place. But The other side of this is we've got to be at least somewhat transactional, or maybe transactional is the wrong word, but we have to look out for ourselves. There's got to be a certain amount of give and take. If you're the one who's always giving and never taking, that's also not sustainable. Uh, Then you get into relationships where you are enabling dysfunctional behavior, or there's a certain amount of codependence, uh, or you just burn yourself out trying to help other people. You don't have any energy left to take care of yourself. Uh, So, I wanted to explore this topic, and I thought it would be interesting to get your perspective, Z, because you've got a pretty unique approach, or maybe it's not even a unique approach, but maybe an approach from a different era in terms of dealing with people uh, where you look at them first as human beings, and you look at how you can help them. You don't worry so much about how you can get paid. uh, That comes later on. So it's really, okay, I've got a skill set, and I can help people get back on their feet. I can help them with their physical, their mental health, I can help them do things that they never thought were possible and that's something that elevates you uh so it makes you feel good it breathes life into your soul but then the challenge with that is that they're not always paying the bills so as a businessman you've got to figure out how do i manage that how do i cultivate that good relationship but still make sure that i've got that uh, dakshina coming in so i've got enough money coming in where i can keep this business going and it can be attention because if you get too wrapped up on the money side Then that interferes with the ability to form those relationships and help other people. But of course, if you go too far on the helping side, then the business falls apart. So, one thing we talked about is can you put someone in between who can take care of the business side of it, take care of the money, and let you do your thing? Uh, But more generally, I want to talk about how we should walk that middle path, as we often talk about, how we can cultivate relationships where there is an equal exchange, there's a nice give and flow. Uh, And there's a certain strength that comes with that. So if we're giving as well as receiving, we're invested in the other person, they're invested in us, we're looking out for each other. That, of course, has a lot of benefits. What's your take? I mean, I'm just going to open this up. It's a bit of a free-flowing conversation. But what's your experience been, and and how do we get to that point where we've got that healthy exchange?
1: Well, one of the things that I want to put forth always is that I hope that with all these podcasts that we're doing and as we grow as a a media offering, that at the end of any of our offerings, that it helps people in some way, even the smallest way, be healthier. Not only mentally, not only emotionally, not only physically, but in all ways. Just be better. Um, Just to do better, to feel better, to maybe have a little healthier family relationships and social relationships. So a lot of these free-flowing topics that we have are things that I deal with on a daily basis and and, in this health and wellness environment and I see that stress is of course the number one killer and the causality of that is oftentimes the way we think about things. So with that being said when I think about reciprocity represents sustainability. When something is sustainable it has an active energy quantum. And in that active energy quantum, things can keep going and keep growing. As long as you know, there is a cycle of nurturing, then things keep going and flourishing. When that is corrupted, things become stagnant, decay, and they become diseased, and so on. When we talk about reciprocity within human relationships, it's not always a way in which you can say, I did this, then you do that. I do this. So to each person, they carry a burden to their ability. You go out with a group of friends. It's like, let's say when you were a teenager. When I was a young kid, about 13 years old, I had a summer job. I would go visit my grandmother and I had all these buddies that lived in the town where my grandmother lived that would look forward to Every June, school is out, and we go visit. Well, I was a pretty good mechanic. And I was a little guy, and I was a good mechanic. So I, I, for $50, I bought a 61 Volkswagen Bug. Right? Didn't work. So all the buddies, they pushed it to the house, and each one did a little something so we could drive the car. So I was the mechanic. The older boy who had a learner's permit drove the car. The other two that could conjure up money got gas money. We all got gas money. And somebody, two or three, two, or, two of the fellows would get out and push the car. So you had somebody that started the car, somebody that drove the car, somebody that brought gas and a mechanic. And each person had a role, reciprocity. They had a role in our enjoyment. we had a wonderful summer. Not everybody was a good mechanic, not everybody was a good driver, but everybody did their part. And it's expressed in different ways. So I can't weigh one part as more valuable than the other and that's one of the challenges with transactional relationships. Is that who is the definer of the value of a thing? Who defines the value of that thing? You see around the world where there are people, uh, if you go to India, you'll see a lot of people with the kidney scar because they've sold a kidney. So they have a kidney broker. Now to the person in the Middle East who has abused their body and wants a fresh kidney to continue abusing their body, that kidney is worth about a hundred thousand. To the broker who gets it, they, can, they stand to make a hundred thousand. But in the process that they go all the way down to the person with the kidney, when you get down to the person with the kidney, they're selling their kidney for four or five hundred dollars. It's going from hand to hand and eventually that kidney's worth a hundred thousand dollars a person. Needs it. So you can say, wow, that idiot sold his kidney for five hundred bucks. Well that five hundred dollars would be differ between his family eating for six months and not eating. And he made that decision. The broker who understands human suffering, made the most money. He was the money changer. He made the most money out of the deal. For the Middle Eastern guy, $100,000 was nothing. He gets more than that in welfare payments from the the Qatari government or wherever in a month. That's nothing for him. Nothing. In exchange, the guy at the end has shortened his life Um, but he lived a complete life in the noble deed he did for his family. We can judge in any kind of way we're not in his position. My my point is, it's very difficult for us to say what's more value. Your time, my money, uh, my support, uh, your efforts. But when we think in terms of reciprocity, we can see that it's not 50-50, that there are ebbs and flows, there are highs and lows. To each each person, extend yourself to your capacity. Have boundaries on it. Each of us knows what we can do and what we can't do. If not, we should explore that based on circumstances. You have different dynamics in relationships. Let's say in, in conventional, conventional male-female relationships, women often want their partner or their mate to be a reasonably good protector. Reasonably good. I feel like if I go somewhere, uh, I'm safe. And, and most men don't really understand that. And I've learned that from being around women and hearing them talk. Is that women are often face casual kind of harassment on a regular basis that men don't. So when you have a guy with you, you tend not to have those casual harassments, which can escalate rather quickly, right? You understand what I'm saying? I, I've lived it, yes. Yeah. And so most women have lived it. Most guys, we don't know what that means, but we do know that women feel a sense of protection simply having that as a deterrent. There's a trade. You trade a certain amount of masculine, brute for feminine favor. So you have the, you offer the man feminine favor, he offers you masculine brute. Now let's take the humanity out of that. And we just simply make it a transactional relationship. How much would you pay a guy to walk through a dangerous area with you? $100, $500. Based on what you have, right? You'd have to pay him. What would he pay for feminine comfort? Well, we have prostitution tells us whatever the going scale is, on whatever the uh, prostitution index is in varied parts of towns in the world, and that's the exchange. Why don't people like those exchanges? Because humans are very uh, can be very we can be very peculiar in the emotional aspect of us. You want that guy to walk around because he values you and say, "Hey, that's I value this." woman that I'm with, thus I will offer my life. So that chivalry is magical, I would think. I don't know, I'm not a woman, but I would imagine. On the other hand, a man wants to feel desired, revered, loved. So the fact that he would just swipe a credit card for your time adds a certain coldness to that intimate moment. But there are people that make those agreements, and they're okay with that. I'm saying for us who have opted out, we want to really explore the reciprocity and the middle path of dealing. You have different people that you manage in your life different ways. Remembering what the Vedas said, that all human relationships are based on mutual benefit. What do I get out of you? What do you get out of me? And what's it worth to you? And what's it worth to me? It may not be a portion of gold or so many dollars. It could be other things. In a real life example, I was coming to work this morning and I was listening to the radio and one of the members of Digital Underground was on the radio talking, Money B. And I heard mine and I was driving to work and it just became really emotional, just the memories. And he mentioned the years that we had worked, how long ago it was when we toured and traveled. And I heard his voice and he, they, they were talking about it. he was really healthy and we had many discussions about his health. And I called him up and we spoke on the phone and I said, I'm, I'm so happy to hear that you're doing well. Because we lost, one of us a couple years ago, we lost Jacques, But to hear mine was doing well. I don't know what I would pay for that or what could be paid for that. How much would you pay to feel well? To be inspired? If it's a disembodied stranger. Maybe you go to a workshop, a seminar, a get-together, a yoga retreat, you pay a thousand dollars, maybe fly ten thousand, I don't know. Or maybe you share with them a part of your life that might be priceless or you haven't put that price. Everybody said there's a value to everything but it's hard to say. What would you pay for your children? Or what would you give to your children? What would you sacrifice for them? I think when we're in loving relationships, we sacrifice a lot of our comfort so that we can learn more about interacting with our partner. Right? Um, something you wouldn't have to do if you just paid the person. But if you paid the person, then that's always on that scale. The meter's always ticking. And you know that. And that may have an effect on your psyche and your ego. I would say for those of us who are opting out, we want to really look at the people in our life and see what the exchange rate is and what are we exchanging? Is it dollars? Is it rupees? Is it heart, soul, is it a kidney? Is it your liver? Is it your smile? What are you what's the exchange? You follow me, Vin?
0: Yeah, I do follow you, Z. Uh, I think we got to bring this conversation back to the day-to-day. And what I mean by that, conceptually, I think what you're saying is correct, uh, that uh, we, number one, want to be desired. We don't just want transactional relationships as human beings. We want people to invest in us, to care about us, for our character, uh, for whatever unique qualities we bring to the table. So that's part of it. And those relationships tend to have more durability, more meaning. Maybe they provide more satisfaction. The other aspect of what I'm hearing from you, everyone's got to bring something to the table. So even if it's not a, an explicit transaction, relationships are a form of exchange. If we're spending time with someone, we're getting something in exchange for that. Uh, You had the example of uh, different people getting together in a car, and someone's got gas money. Someone's a mechanic. Someone's a driver. So everyone's pulling their weight in some way. And not that it's got to be a mercenary type of arrangement, but it's just the nature of exchange. If we're spending time with other people, we need some return on that time. We need some energy back for what we're putting out. Because if we don't get that, we can't function. Uh, Eventually, we break down. And I think about that with my kids. I mean, maybe kids are a good example because in a way it seems extremely one-sided. So you've got children who really add nothing. They do nothing to alleviate the parent's burden. Uh, Everything is about themselves. Everything is about what do I need? What do I want? What can I get? If I don't get what I want, I'm going to be upset. I'm going to create... Uh, just a complete scene, kick furniture over, uh, throw food on the wall, uh, whatever the case may be. Uh, they're not necessarily doing chores. And uh, maybe you can build in some of that behavior, but it's not a natural response, at least when they're young. So you look at it and it seems on the one hand like a very one-sided relationship, but I always look at my kids as one of the most satisfying relationships that I have, uh, probably the most satisfying Because I'm always getting energy back. Uh, Maybe it's because I see them as an extension of myself. Maybe it's because there's a certain authenticity or innocence. They don't have an agenda. Uh, There's nothing that they're trying to hide. It's kind of like what you see is what you get. You're not being manipulated. They're spontaneous. They're present. So you're in this life together at that moment. They're bringing you back to what's happening right now, and all of that for me is very restorative. So I come home. And It's like you got into the world and you deal with zombies all day and you deal with people who are trying to take something from you, telemarketers who want to sell you something or get you to donate to some cause, people at work who are trying to offload work onto you or just waste your time, (laughs) people who are trauma dumping uh, because they like hearing themselves talk, and you come back exhausted, but then I see my kids and it's restorative. So it, that, to me, is an interesting example because on the surface, it looks like there's no exchange, but it, underneath, it, there's actually a huge amount of exchange in both directions. And I make them feel safe and loved in addition to providing everything they need just to survive in this world. And then I look at Z, and some of the things you do fall in that category as well. So when you work with people, you could say, okay, on the surface, maybe you're not getting that much in exchange. Yeah, you got a business and you get paid, so of course you're getting that. But you'd probably choose to work with people anyway, because it's just part of your nature. And there are times where you can't help yourself, uh, even if it's taking an extraordinary amount of effort, even if you don't necessarily have the time or the emotional energy, you'll do it because that's just how you're wired. And I've asked you that in the past, like, why do you keep on doing this? Why don't you set limits and... It's almost like you don't know how else to be. So there's obviously something, whether it's just a fulfillment of your nature, or maybe it's you getting something back by uplifting the people around you, there is that exchange. So the exchange has to be part of it. But I think maybe the problem we run into uh, when uh, we look at how people interact is that instead of it being fluid and spontaneous, it becomes more calculating, Uh, So I want to explore that for a second, because if I look at you or I look at how it is with my kids, it just kind of happens. We get together, we hang out with people, uh, and everyone brings something to the table, we all support each other. When you work with people, same sort of thing, they get value out of it, you get value out of it. You're not going into the situation in advance saying, okay, what's my end of the bargain? you're going in more open-hearted, more, let me provide what I can to the extent that I can, and I'll see what happens, and I'll see what I get in exchange. And I started doing that more often outside of my family, uh, just with the people that I interact with. And maybe I've picked up on your example, but I find that very liberating. It's liberating because I can help them, and I feel good about that. They feel connected to me because they know I'm looking out for them, so we've got a tight bond. I mean, we're rolling together, we're hanging out. And then it helps drop some of the expectations. So I can avoid disappointment. You know, I'm not worried about what I'm going to get back. I don't have some mental tabulation of everything I've done and everything I expect in exchange, which just creates a lot of anxiety. And it's kind of like, okay, either the situation is working for me or not. If it is, we're hanging out and it's cool. Uh, If it's not, maybe I'll spend less time with the person, but I'm not there to try and extract something that someone doesn't want to provide. Uh, but I feel like a lot of times we get into situations, whether it's business situations or romantic relationships, we've got an agenda going in. Like this is what I want to get. This is how I'm going to get it. This is what I'm willing to give it, Talk about that a little bit. I mean, do you see a distinction between those two things like going in and having more of a spontaneous interaction versus going in and
1: trying to control the situation? Then I wouldn't call it spontaneous. I think it's organic. Um, and it, 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 it's a revelation of your own nature, right? When you interact with people and, and, and are you constantly thinking about what you can extract from them? Or are you just nurturing for the joy of nurturing? And here's my point is, it goes back to my gardening metaphor. Sometimes when you're gardening, you're just gardening. And when you lose yourself in the tilling of the soil and the turning and the pruning, you were able to escape a lot of stress or other distractions. And then at some point, you pass by and the efforts of your joy, the efforts of your duty are displayed in the growth of the plant. And it's just a beautiful thing. And, and, and I'll try and describe it. What, what I get out of working with people, teaching people. It is very, it is extremely soothing to my often troubled heart. Um, in my life, I have got to witness and experience all aspects of the human condition. I was just fired up before we started talking to Caitlin about uh, social issues and those things never leave you and sometimes if you are quiet and alone those memories are very loud and the pain comes back and it has a, a, a very visceral effect on your body. Then you turn to your gardening and in that moment you just see beauty. So when I work with people, and they're getting well, and they feel better, they walk out of here better than they came in, it's like working in a garden. And the fruit of that is just as succulent and tasty and as temporary and transient. I don't deal with people so they can stay around me and feed me fruit. I just try to grow them, do what I do while I'm with them, and when I see them doing well, I look and say, "Wow. That was that was a beautiful fruit." When I see the people <clears throat> that I have struggled to maybe teach or help them get on their feet again in whatever way, whatever scars or burdens or traumas that I've been through it all goes away in that moment it all goes away I'll walk up and I'll see some of my students who were maybe awkward and decrepit when they started being graceful and fluid and sharing these lessons with others just stand back and it's just like I said it's like watching that garden come out just right and there is a different reward. There's a different celestial reward. Yeah, I would love a monetary reward. I would love that because it would allow me to do uh, what I do with less stress. It's just the bottom line. I would keep doing what I'm doing. It would just be less stressful and less distracting when it comes to um, the financial and the, the, the cold, heartless part of the, the exchange of money. History has always shown us that when they have a person who has a talent or art or craft, or skill, and they do what they do, and in between there will always be some sort of manager, or money changer, who can deal with the colder part of that interaction, the less human part, the bloodless part of it, which is the exchange of money that fuels movement. It, 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 it is uh, the gas that moves the, the, the uh, engine of human action. We need that, but we also need to know its limits. If you think about the relationship that you have with people in your life, think about the relationship we have with our partners, our wives, imagine if you would, not I knew somebody who in order to um, explore intimacy with his wife, he had to swipe a credit card. They actually had that kind of relationship. And I asked him about it and he says, well, we, we grew into that because Uh, they could never come to a place of understanding um, about the different ways that they looked at being loved. And he also weighed the idea of divorce and he said it would be better for us to be pragmatic about it and have a strictly transactional relationship and keep the marriage intact. He said because I think he thought that love was overblown. And the wife um, was not a loving person in that sense. And he didn't need that. He said he'd get all the love he needed from, from his family and everything else. But because they went into the situation, it didn't work out right. They didn't want to get divorced. So he just pays his wife um, when he wants it. And that worked for them. Maybe that wouldn't work for you and I based on how our ego matrix work and how our, our sense of loyalty and so forth. And you know that when you start those types of clear transactional relationships, that everything is about the highest bidder. So you're, you're always in a kind of a vulnerable position because if the fee is uh, $500 and somebody comes along with $600, then you're going to lose your time. Um, but I would say for those of us who are opting out, I always like hard, uh, hard questions. And that's when you ask your friends, your family members, uh, all the adults in your life, what do I do for you and what do you do for me? I think the nicest way to start out is simply asking, what do I do for you? Why are we friends? And you get different answers. I know a lot of people in my life are my friends because I like to, I, I, I like to create a world. I remember uh, as a young child and they went around the room asking all the kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I want to be a feudal lord. And the teacher, of course, beat me with a stick and said, now what do you want to be? I said, a feudal lord, because I will punish you for what you just did to me. And so I guess that carries on. And so what I like, I like the world that I live in and exist. I love the people in my life. I love not having to constantly walk on eggs or wonder if they're okay with me. I'm okay with them. And it's just a few people, but we have a really good community. And even the people that are on the outskirts of that, that maybe aren't people we want to sit with, they bring something to the table that's unique and interesting. And if we have to keep them at arm's length, it doesn't take that much energy. For the people that we bring into the fold, uh, that's my world. I don't live in the world that a lot of people live in that you see in the news. I don't live in that Democrat versus Republican world. I don't live in that, uh, that world of, of hate and doubt. And uh, I don't live in a world um, where you have to uh, try to figure out how to talk to people. Um, that world is out there, but I don't live in it. So I achieve my goal as a feudal lord by just teaching yoga, tai chi, qigong, acupuncture, acupressure, medicine, all the things we allow here that extend human life. And we have, I have, I'm surrounded by love. And that was about reciprocity. I couldn't buy that. I don't make that kind of money. I don't have money um, to do that. But I would say that I have more love around me than most billionaires.
0: Yeah, it's funny to hear you say that, Z. And it, what I'm taking away from this conversation, I'm actually really glad we're talking about this. Because I always suspected that you wanted to be a feudal lord. And maybe it didn't happen in the Congo. You couldn't be a dictator back there, but you came back. You set up your own little fiefdom, and now you can beat people up for a living <laughs> or beat them down, <laughs> whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So uh, I applaud you. I think you are an inspiration. Um, but what's uh, I'm kind of thinking about myself as we're talking on this topic, and you said a few things that really uh, – that really hit me. Uh, one is you're surrounded by love, which of course is a great thing. And we've talked about the trip that we took uh, to uh, Shachi's funeral, and people who you hadn't seen in 30 years were just so happy to see you, and they were so grateful for how you touched them decades ago. Some of them you didn't even remember because you, the last time you'd seen them, they were they were children. They were seven, eight years old. You made such an impact that 30 years later they're coming up and they're hugging you in the lobby of some random hotel. Uh, so that's great. I mean, that's a great feeling I know. I, I saw this in action up close. Uh, I saw it how how it recharged you, it restored you. Uh, so that love, uh, of course, is a beautiful thing. Uh, the other thing you mentioned, which I think is very valuable and perhaps underrated, you don't have to censor yourself. You can be you. And my God, that's like so rare in this world where we're constantly worried about what we're going to say, how we're going to be perceived, who we're going to offend. Uh, There's a constant filter that we overlay on top of everything that we think. Not even everything we say, but everything we think. And then another filter to govern what we can say. And is this the right time to say it? And oh, if I said this to this person, They told me not to reveal a secret and maybe I revealed that secret and oh my God, what's going to happen if they find out? And that's where the anxiety starts. And I've become a lot more sensitive to this. Uh, These types of situations, I mean, I I still have to do some of this. Uh, In certain situations, I've got to set the limits and and I can't say what I want to say. Uh, But I try and minimize those interactions and I try and surround myself with people where I can be a lot more open. Because it's like a breath of fresh air. It's like, wow, I can breathe. I can actually express what is going through my mind, through my heart, without fear of reprisal, without fear of someone being pissed off, without fear of being judged, Uh, even if I don't care about being judged. uh, That's going to create some friction in the relationship, which uh, I just don't want to be around. I don't want to deal with. So those things are interesting. And if we go back to the original point, which is, how do we manage relationships and how do we walk that that middle path so we have that good exchange and that reciprocity these sorts of things are undervalued and it's undervalued because we live in this transactional world where it's very easy to measure things of course we can measure money we can measure dollars and cents we can measure certain outcomes how many times do i hang out with this person or if i'm in a relationship Am I moving from just being in that relationship to being someone's boyfriend or girlfriend to getting engaged, to getting married? And these are all markers that we have. Or uh, am I getting flowers? Am I getting uh, meals? Am I getting nights out? And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Uh, I'm just saying that that is one form of exchange. And this other form of exchange, at least for me personally, I find a lot more satisfying. Having that love, having that ability to open yourself up, my God, it's just like stress that's been accumulated disappears. It's almost like a certain light within me can shine. I can just be me. And to me, that's the most valuable thing in the world. And even if I've only got a handful of relationships that fall into that category, they're so precious. It's kind of like you can't even describe what it feels like when you're around people like that. And sometimes I'll meet people and have that connection and be able to talk and just open up and just pour out what's running through my mind, uh, what I'm feeling. And it's sort of like the stuff, you don't even realize how bottled up it is because it just comes rushing out. Uh, and I don't know if you see that, Z. I don't know how much you experience it. I don't know how much you see it. I'm sure you see it in the people that you work with. Uh, but it's like, a dam comes down and all of these things that we've been holding on to, it just come pouring out like a river uh, rushing through, you know, like this, th- this incredible flow of water, which is almost limitless. And I feel that when I was a kid, I-, I went through this a lot. People always told me that you're so introverted, you're so quiet. And maybe I am. I mean, there might be some truth to that. But a lot of it is, I just didn't feel comfortable saying what I wanted to say. I just felt like I had to go along. I had to pretend to enjoy things that I didn't. I was in conversations that I had no interest in that did nothing for me. So yeah, of course, I'm going to be quiet. I have nothing to contribute. But you put me in the right situation, and I'm a totally different person. And I've got a lot to say. I've got a lot of observations about life, about the world. I've got a perspective which is pretty unique. And I want to hear what other people have to say. I want to know how they're going to react. I want to know what their experience has been. Uh, part of it is from my own knowledge. Part of it is that it just brings us closer together. You don't feel so alone on this planet, which is just hurling through billions of light years of empty space. Uh, so it, that that's what comes to mind when I hear you talking, Z. Uh, but maybe just hone in on on one of the points that I made, because I know I covered a lot of ground. This idea that we hold on to things, and then when we're in these more free-flowing relationships where we have this reciprocity, we've got that exchange, and we don't have to hold back. And a lot of what we've been holding on to comes out. Talk about what that does for us, health-wise.
1: Well, then well, you said it right there when you said you're guarding. Whenever you're guarded or holding back or you think about the relationships we have with people that you have to measure, that you know this person is maybe more vampiric in their relationship so you can't expose your veins to them, but maybe they do other things really well. You're holding back and the, and you, you can deal with those people, but it, it, it takes a lot more energy to deal with those people. What those of us who are opting out or seeking for those of us who want to have good, healthy lives and relationships mentally, emotionally, physically healthy, have energy to get through the day, what we are striving for in every relationship is to experience moksha. Moksha is that term you use in Hinduism and Buddhism that literally means liberation. Liberation from the endless cycles of death and rebirth, just going through things, that Groundhog's Day kind of activity in your life. So when you're in good, healthy relationships, you're experiencing that moment of liberation because you don't have to, you're not wondering about that person, you're not guarded, you're not filtering. But remember that's a moment because that's a gift. True liberation. And human interaction is, is rare and precious. And for those people you share that with, it requires a lot of devotional uh, cultivation. And so for the people you can't be that with, you're being agreeable. And you're managing because you do appreciate moksha. When, when we traveled together and there were tears and smiles, that was liberation. That was just, a, just to be able to open your heart and you didn't have to worry about it. Um, there are people that I can interact with. You and I have that kind of interaction, where sometimes it's 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 deep, sometimes it's silly, sometimes it's it's ludicrous, but it's always free. It's always pure. It's always right there, and I see that more and more with the folks that that we interact with every day. Sometimes those people will be kind of crazy. Every now and then, you know, Caitlin gets a little snarty, and I get snarty back with well, yeah, I got upset with her because she was being a super white and I tried to explain like racism to her, but that's Moksha. We were able to be that way with each other. Yeah, we were We're able to be that way with each other. That's, that's, that's very liberating. And when you're liberating, it's a different kinds of stress. It's a stress that exercises your intellect and your being, but you can't do that with everybody. And it's very rare. Um, I talk to clients and I have to start out after I see them on the second or third time and I'm trying to get them to open up and discuss the health issues that are obvious to me but because of their ego, they're very guarded, I have to say, look, we're going to have them tell them stories. I talk to them and and they say, I I don't know how to say this and I say, please, I can't be offended. I have to tell people that now. You can't offend me. You can't offend me, so let's talk. And they go, oh, wow, oh, so good. Let me tell you about some horrible person at work or this real fat ass. Whatever it was, whatever thing they wanted to say and that moment of liberation is the beginning of their healing process. You'd be surprised and Caitlin has seen it. how long sometimes I have to do intake with a person just to get them to tell the truth. And then they come out, they're crying or they're relieved. That is moksha. They get to experience and get a taste of moksha. Of liberation. What if we could have a portion of liberation every day of our life? You're no longer knotted up. A spring in your gut isn't coiled. Your, your um, observation isn't on high alert. I can just be. I can just be. So that's what we're striving for. And of course when we talk about the orbits of our relationship, starting with you in the center and then your intimate partner, then your friends, families, associates, the more moksha you have, the more you can benefit from the brilliance of the sun that's in yourself. Right? Um, so you can have that, that power in you that's not being used to put up these barriers and barricades of people and you can just be. That's moksha. So that's what we want to do with understanding the benefits of reciprocity in relationships. And use wisdom. You know what you can give. You know what you benefit from. You won't always get what you need or what you want, but you'll always get what you need, I should say. You won't get what you want, but you can get what you need by respecting appreciating what they're sharing with you. And maybe a person you feel disappointed because they're not giving you what you want. They're not listening to you. But if you accept them for their capacity, then you'll find peace in that interaction. When you find that, that's when you're being nurtured without buffer. That's when the water reaches the root. Right? And then we can appreciate people more than having a disdain for them. I have found that at times I have had disappointment or disdain with somebody that when I appreciate their capacity, it's okay. You don't tell the kids to jump in the car and drive down the highway and they're un- and then get disappointed they wrecked the car. Well, they're untalented, they're unskilled, they're too young. You would never put that on them, but why are you getting mad? Same way when you have people in your life and they let you down. I would really like to those of us who are opting out to reflect upon that. Did they really let me down or did they do the best they could to their capacity? And each person brings a different thing to the table. Everybody brings something different to the table. Maybe you're the, the only friend with the driver's license, so you have to drive all the time, but they can do all the other chores. They can maintain the vehicle, they can put gas in it, they can push start it. It all works out. What if you're always push starting the car? Well, most of the time, you're sitting in the car and you're just being driven around. You got a free Uber. But in exchange for that, you got to push the car to get it started. So let's look at all of our relationships with each other. And just really look at the person you're with and saying, "Well, they have a different upbringing than me." Or maybe I'm I'm financially well off and my my friends are Uh, financially not as well off as me, yet they bring other things to the table and that makes it worth that financial exchange. We can't hold the one thing we have as being the greatest thing. So if I'm the one that is physically stronger and I'm asked to carry more load, I shouldn't feel that's unfair because maybe the others can do their own piece to support me and nurture me in the way that they do. And thus we achieve moksha. We are liberated from anger, resentment, disappointment, uh, sorrow. All these things that come along with wanting to have some sense of a plurality of offerings. Right? For a strong man to carry uh, your groceries up the stairs, no big deal. A sick, enfeebled person that can barely go upstairs to do it, it's life-threatening they would risk their life helping you out. For the multi-billionaire to hand you a few thousand dollars, is nothing. For the poor person that's just scraping nickels together, that's a big deal. That could determine whether they're on the streets or even dying. And so you want to weigh everything in according to the situation. So um, that's the middle path. That's the crooked road that takes us straight to our destination. And by appreciating the people in your life for their abilities and their capacity to share, to exchange, by understanding that, you never overextend yourself, you never burn yourself out, and you never feel slighted. You follow me, Ben?
0: Yeah, it's a ruthlessly efficient way of looking at the world. It, to me, it makes a lot of sense. And uh, it, it's, it, what you're describing is just very practical it goes along with this this dispassionate observer philosophy that we talk so much about Just stand back and observe what actually is, what's going on, what different people can do, what their situation is. Even if you don't know why they're doing certain things, if you've got a friend who's always late and you know that they're always late, don't expect them to be on time. Don't get upset when they're not on time. Uh, There are tons of examples around this, but I feel like so much of our frustration in relationships comes from these expectations, Uh, and I've been guilty of this. One of the best things that I've done in my relationships uh, with people, if I go back uh, five, six years ago, I remember there was someone that I blew up with maybe five or six years ago because I just felt like the person was never around. They weren't responding to my calls, to my texts. And it just pissed me off. And I uh, said something like, what the fuck? Do you even care? How come you're never around? I'm putting in all this effort and you're not here. And it turned into this whole conversation and uh, they said, well, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what's happening in my life. You don't know the stresses that I'm under. And I thought about it and I realized that this person was absolutely right. I don't. I've got no idea what's going on in their life. Even if I know what's going on in their life, I can't speak to what's going on in their mind. I can't speak to what their priorities are. Maybe I'm just not a priority. Uh, and th- that's fine. I-, I don't need to be. And so that to me was a bit of a turning point. And I've used that same philosophy when I deal with a lot of people. I, I just try and get rid of expectations and just try and observe how people are and what uh, how they interact, how they behave what I can expect from them. Uh, And then I can manage myself accordingly and I can manage the situations accordingly. I can sidestep a lot of landmines. I don't have to get dragged into discussions that aren't going to go anywhere, where I know that they only lead to pain and conflict. Uh, I can show up at a place late because I know that certain friends are going to get there late. So I can factor that in. It it just makes it much easier for me to to manage my life. Uh, It also makes it it takes a certain level, level of stress, and maybe this is part of the release that you're talking about, Z, it's just this expectation that people are going to behave the way that we want them to behave, and they're going to make the same choices that we would make, or not even that we would make, but that we want them to make, that they exist for us. We're the center of the universe. And of course, in a sense, that's that's right because that's how we experience life. And naturally, anything we experience is filtered through our own perception. So we look at the world as how it relates to us, how it benefits us. But at the same time, we need the intelligence to say, that's a very narrow perspective. Other people have their own lives. They've got their own situations. We're a piece of their puzzle. And it only works if we meet in the middle, as you're saying. And if we've got some healthy exchange and we know what the limits are, Uh, so I I think it simplifies relationships quite a bit, and it also helps us avoid some relationships that just aren't going to work out. So instead of waiting for something to work out, we can walk away. Instead of waiting for someone to change, yeah, it would be great if they change, but I'm not going to count on it. Either I can change the way I deal with the situation, or maybe I'll spend my time elsewhere. Uh, And if we recognize that good relationships are rare, uh, that interaction we talked about where you can be free you can have this extreme outpouring of the self you're not going to have too many of those interactions why waste time looking for that where you're not going to find it uh, why not spend your time cultivating relationships that can provide what you need uh, and everything else you take it or leave it if you get what you need from the situation great if you don't move on uh, so it it might, it's interesting to me because as we talk about it, sometimes the terms we use sound a little bit harsh and it can sound a little bit cold, but I think it's much more humane than uh, the way that a lot of our society interacts, which is sizing people up and trying to figure out what can I extract and then feeling disappointed when things don't, don't go the way that you want. Uh, if you're just much more accepting, much more open, and really it comes down to, for me, I'm going to do things for my own reasons. Uh, I'm not going to do things with an expectation of receiving something back or an expectation that someone's going to behave a certain way. I'm going to do this because it's something that I want to do. I can own that decision. That's a way to avoid a lot of this disappointment. And at least for me, get rid of a lot of stress in my life.
1: Yeah, Van. And and that's the bottom line is that there are many uh, vehicles of stress in our life. The greatest vehicle of stress is lack of knowledge of self and The next is inviting into your life suffering, undue suffering. And by getting to know what everybody brings to the table and that it will have different values, it will have different worths. As I said, a poor man's kidney to him is worth a meal. The billionaire who needs it... um, it, 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 it's, it, it, it's, it's worth a, a good portion of his fortune. If they were to come together in a way without and go between, they could both help each other. And I use that as kind of just a real basic elementary analogy as anyone can understand. I want to apply that to everyday living. Each of us bring to the table different things to the people that we love. Do you to the best of your ability. And if you see that you are not appreciated, then throttle it back. Real simple. Back it down a little bit. And before you do that, have that conversation. Because if you freely give of yourself, it's hard for people to understand your value. Unless they're educated in some form of spirituality, whether it talks about doctrine or devotion or reverence, And so don't get upset because people don't value you, but they're not enlightened in that way. It's for them, it's a thieves bazaar. Or well, they're so free with their their time, their money, their love, or whatever, they it must not have value to them. That's how some people think. And you can either tell them or by example or withdraw yourself. Yet be honest in that interaction. Don't be upset because they don't value you. I found myself in that position. You give, 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 and you turn around and you realize that this person doesn't have the the idea of exchange. Or they don't really value you. And it's a very painful um, revelation because you go into something with just such an open heart. And you realize that you're like the poor man giving up one of his kidneys to the rich man. And he only, he doesn't, he doesn't pay enough for the kidney, but that, what agreement did you make? What agreement did you make? The agreement is your boundary, your limit. You have people in your life that do a lot for you, do a lot for them. You have people that bring you business, uh, support them, and honor them for that, and pay them back. In whatever way you can pay them back. If it's not finance, it's your time. If it's not Your time, it's directing them to the right place. It's a life strategy. It's really, really simple, and it can be as cold or as warm as you'd like. But in order for us to have sustainability in the higher levels of human interaction, we all must do our part. All right. Yeah, so
0: let's uh, walk into situations, eyes wide open, Uh, give freely, but uh, give uh, from a place of sincerity and not expecting something in exchange. Uh, And as you're saying, Z, we all bring different things to the table
1: uh, so we can meet in the middle. And know your limits. Know your limits. That's a wrap.
0: If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.